You are listening to Talking Star Wars. Hello, Talking Star Wars fans. Our intention was to have a full-on discussion about the first two seasons of The Mandalorian, but for whatever reason, my Audacity file had the audacity to overlap my recording, and we lost that part of our discussion. So allow us to continue on to whatever topic we were discussing next, which might have been the Bad Batch. I don't know. We'll find out right now. So yeah, moving on to another show that I have not seen, but I plan to watch it after my uh, most recent Clone Wars fan edit rewatch. I invite anyone to please send judgmental ep- uh, messages <laughs> to Connor to try to get me to shame him to get caught up on these shows. But let's talk about The Bad Batch. So, uh, Connor, you've seen The Bad Batch's arc in The Clone Wars, so you get to introduce them. Sure, I, I can remember all of them, right? Uh, we've got uh, Heavy, who's a tough... No, Heavy's dead. Heavy's dead. Heavy died. I can't oh. believe you forgot a heavy sacrifice <laughs> no. at the listening post that he ex- that he blew up to stop the separatists from attacking Camino. Uh, Fine, I'm taking. We have back heavy over. junior tanker. No, so <laughs> never mind. I'm taking back over from Connor. So we meet the Bad Batch in the um, final couple of seasons of the Clone Wars. Uh, it is called. They are called Clone Force ninety nine, and they are a batch of I'm quoting unquoting defective clones, meaning just they have different mutations than the rest of the clones that are beneficial, and they are formed into their own unit. And by the time of the Bad Batch show, it consists of the leader, Hunter, who has powerful sensory abilities, including um, the ability to sense energy fields, um, but also just extremely keen hearing, sight, and ability to detect you know, tremors in the ground. We have Wrecker, who is incredibly strong and physically resilient. Heavy Junior. Connor, I will, I will hurt you. <laughs> Hi. Um, then we get Tech, who is their tech expert, uh, good with technology and also an exceptional pilot. We then have Crosshair, who is just probably the best shot you'll see in Star Wars. I mean, based on what he's done, I can't think of anyone who's actually a better shot, um, including some Jedi who we've seen use guns. Uh, and then Echo, who is an ARC trooper survivor of separatist experiments with one arm replaced with a scomp link, who is, uh, combines the abilities of an on-site hacker with the precision and tactical ability of an ARC trooper. And this, uh, no, if you haven't seen the first episode, some spoilers, but it becomes a wolf and cub story again, except this mm-hmm. is more like, um, you know, five and a half men. Except it's uh, the five dads all trying to raise one clone daughter. Um, in the fact slash of, sister? Yeah. Sister, younger sister mm-hmm. slash father. But I mean, definitely steps more into the father role with Hunter. Mm-hmm. Where they adopt the clone, the female clone version of Django Fett, Omega. The final clone uh, uh, ever made. Uh or maybe not. It's unclear. But she's, she does not have the accelerated aging the rest of the clones do. So she is actually... T- she's 12 years old and actually looks 12. So even though she's actually older than the whole Bad Batch, her maturity level is still that of a 12-year-old, more so than our jaded, soldiery protagonists. And the Bad Batch, the show itself, is set... The first episode is Order 66. So... And the second episode, The Empire has arrived. So that is how fast we move in this story. So this is bridging the gap between order 66 and the rise of the empire and a new hope but 
whereas Andor and other and the rebels are showing closer to the Battle of Yavin, where you have the re rebellion is already fomented and you're joining an existing movement. There is no rebel movement. Um, the Empire is consolidating its hold. Palpatine is stripping away more and more of the uh, checks and balances that might keep him in check. And you see how the military goes from this relatively small army of the Republic, which is the clones, which are, who are highly trained, um, loyalty conditioned with the chips in their heads, but and then that the transition from the clone army to the army of stormtroopers, who are you know, not as badass as clones, but there are way more of them. Mm -hmm. Because clones are expensive. That is, yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a plot point. Tarkin does not like how expensive they are. He has now become one of the Emperor's primary advisors, and the clones themselves, once their Order 66 is over, start to question some of the things that they've been told to do. <laughs> and that is an ongoing plot point as well. So, the Bad Batch is episodic in the way the Mandalorian is. Some episodes might be um, a dramatic story of how they try to talk to a senator about um, rescuing some fellow clones who are in prison. Another episode might be a job they do for a crime boss to go clear out a mine and they get trapped on the planet and have to deal with a local group of punks to get their ship back. So the stakes vary wildly in this show. Um, Would you say it's more akin to the Clone Wars in that case? Just yes. Where, mm -hmm. But I mean, it is a sequel, the direct sequel in terms of style and narrative. Yeah, yeah. At, the the recording, at the recording of this episode, there have been two full seasons of The Bad Batch released. I would say season two is overall better than season one. I still really enjoyed season one. Um, but season two starts giving more character development to more members of The Bad Batch. Season one is really focused on Omega, Hunter, and um, Crosshair. And the season two gives Tech and Echo and, and the other in Crosshair more time to shine as far as their character goes. And you see Omega being, you know, having matured somewhat and being more of a, a character, less someone needs to be protected and more just someone of varying ability um, as part of their crew. So likely to continue on for a third season? So? Uh, it's certainly based on the ending mm -hmm. of season two. Um, I would guess three or more seasons for The Bad Batch. Um, the Bad Batch, you could watch it without having watched The Clone Wars. Or having only watched some of the Clone Wars. You'll get more out of it having watched the Clone Wars because you'll have an attachment to the plight of the clones. Mm -hmm. That is a big part of this. Is All of our main characters are clones of one form or another. And one thing we didn't mention about the Clone Wars is that so much of the focus is on the clones as a whole, their different personalities, uh, how they view their role in the war. And we have different spotlight clones who show up again throughout uh, the story like Captain Rex. Yeah, so this is... All our protagonists are clones, and they grapple with... I mean, legally, they aren't even people in the eyes of the Empire. They're property. Um, so there are talks in the Senate about a clone personhood bill. This ties into Padme's attempts to get that passed during the war. Though, of course, those efforts failed because she was then killed by mm -hmm. her husband. Um, or Palpatine, depending on who you place mm -hmm. blame on for her death. So, yeah, the clones have no rights. They exist on the fringes of society. And especially our Bad Batch clones, have to come... Some of the nascent rebels are separatists, and so they have to reconcile the fact that they are fighting a war under false pretenses, mm -hmm. and some of their allies are now enemies, and vice versa. So this would probably be the work of Star Wars that most directly grapples with the question of the ethics of cloning, the pers personhood of clones, um, how does this accelerated aging and maturity manifest in someone's psyche, and how does that also impact you know, 
their relationship with other clones made from the same uh, original person? Are they brothers, sisters, fathers and daughters, father, mothers and sons, or is there a or is that relationship break down under the force of the empire? Well, I'm looking forward to checking this out. This is what I'm going to be digging into first after uh, finishing up the Clone Wars rewatch. Um, yeah. So yeah, Bad Batch is two seasons so far and does great world building. I would recommend this. Anyone who's a fan of the Clone Wars, this is pretty much a direct sequel. Mm-hmm. I mean, it picks off. Order 66 happens in the last episode of the Clone Wars, and it is the first episode of the Bad Batch. So you have direct mm-hmm. continuity of characters such as Captain Rex between... Um, the end of the Clone Wars and through the Bad Batch. So go go give it a watch. <laughs> right on. Our next entry, we're only going to touch on briefly because we actually have a separate episode planned, but it is Star Wars Visions, which is an interesting collection of uh, separate episodes that are animated by different production companies. Yeah, so Star Wars Visions, an anthology series, uh, several ep- each episode made by a different company, each with a different story, plot, compatibility with curtain continuity. Mm-hmm. There were very few limitations that the production companies had and the animators had in designing worlds. There's no clear indication of where any of these stories take place, but it doesn't really matter because these, I would say, are are stories inspired by Star Wars more so than uh, you know true narrative uh, links that we can call back on. Yeah, they're more using the Star Wars setting to inspire individual stories, which Star Wars needs to do more of in general. So uh, normally, as Connor knows, I'm all about the canon must fit together, and if it doesn't, that's someone's storytelling failure somewhere. But Visions, as it is just using the trappings uh, using the trappings of Star Wars to tell its own individual and unique stories, makes it... Uh, uh, each episode is visually different. Each episode is different from a storytelling perspective, from a coming-of-age story to an adventure story to, you know, a love story is the tragic love mm-hmm. story is the backdrop for another episode um, to, can a droid be a Jedi? <laughs> and just ask questions that haven't been explored anywhere else in Star Wars media. Yeah, I would, uh, without giving too much away, say this is for any Star Wars fan. They can get something out of this because uh, even the youngest fans who... I could just picture myself not really understanding the story of Star Wars, but understanding the visual style of Star Wars. I would have loved this as a child, and I love it as an adult just because it's a diverse look at what Star Wars could be and just how different appreciators of Star Wars can depict the media. And uh, being able to see how they envision Star Wars in their own style is something that is uh, honestly inspiring to see. All right, yeah, we'll talk more about Visions in our Spotlight episode on the first season of Visions itself. But so, uh, yeah. But yeah, we recommend that for pretty much any Star Wars fan. Uh, the episodes are short. They are very different from each other. If you don't like one, you'll probably like the next. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the next show, which is a standalone miniseries, The Book of Boba Fett. It is all right. I think this was designed as a COVID placeholder where uh, the Mandalorian Season 2 production was halted and they had... Uh, the footage for maybe the first two episodes and thought, you know what? We're going to take that Boba Fett inspired episode and just film it all in one set, one location, one small crew. And uh, the story shows that. But it's fine. So <laughs> I would say the book of Boba Fett is really Mandalorian season 2.5. Mm-hmm. It is necessary viewing to understand Mandalorian season 3. It is more like an interquel 
or a prelude than it is a standalone show. Mm-hmm. You are not going to understand the Book of Boba Fett without having watched The Mandalorian Season 2. And you're not going to understand Mandalorian Season 3 without watching the Book of Boba Fett. So just, just treat it as part of The mm-hmm. Mandalorian. So a lot of the same themes present in The Mandalorian are present in the Book of Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. From the Western influences to the visual influences. Um... This is different in that it is primarily focused on one planet and mm-hmm. a single society and how it is adapting to a new power structure. Yeah, Boba Fett has... Uh, uh, we see him escaping the Sarlacc pits, falling in with the Tusken Raiders who uh, capture him and bring him back to health. Which are told in a series of flashbacks mm-hmm. when he is healing from his ordeal in the Sarlacc. And uh, he develops from there. We would then get the episodes from Mandalorian Season 2, where Boba Fett kicks ass and takes names in order to get his armor back, then return to Tatooine, and then he has become the Daimo. The, the da- Daimyo, yes. I guess the, the, uh, was it, is it a criminal lord? He's replacing... Jane, uh, he's replacing... Uh, Bib Fortuna. Who had replaced Jabba the Hutt as the, the criminal lord of Tatooine. Yeah. So, basically... I mean, as we know, Tatooine has no strong central government. We see various power structures present. Moss Espa has a mayor. Uh, Moss Eisley is a largely lawless area where the closest authority is the Palace of Jabba the Hutt, now the Palace of Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. So, Boba Fett, for a crime lord, does not commit a lot of crime in this mm-hmm. episode. He mostly seems to be setting himself up in, in the same vein as Grief Karga from The Mandalorian. He wants his world to be peaceful. He wants to make peace between the different factions. Um, he himself is somewhat jaded now after being left for dead by Jabba in the Sarlacc pit and then um, having lived among Tuscans for a period of months and been accepted into one of their tribes. And I can understand that. I can definitely get a life of bounty hunting leading one to desire a more structured life where they're in control. I do think that it's a little bit at odds with his characterization in The Mandalorian Season 2, where he is, again, sculling enemies with his staff, and he's a ruthless uh, fighter. Then to go to a pacifist crime lord seems a little odd. He's never a pacifist. Mm -hmm. I think he is worried about becoming too reliant on violence to suit his Mm -hmm. ends. Uh, That could have been done better, obviously. Mm -hmm. The, The Book of Boba Fett is not the most consistently plotted show mm-hmm. episodes are rather uneven it is still enjoyable and i highly mm-hmm. i rec- do recommend it for anyone who enjoys star wars but there are certain limitations going into it um the focus is not on boba fett crime lord that's just one aspect mm-hmm. of it. it is mostly on boba fett the man mm-hmm. and how he reacts to certain situations around him where his newfound sense of honor which he's been hungering for since his dad died mm-hmm. and he was taken in by aura singh who betrayed him and then he finally found acceptance among uh, Jabba's crew, but only after doing some distasteful jobs. And then he worked for Darth Vader for a while, and but then um, Darth Vader paid him and forgot about him. <laughs> and then, yeah, so he, he seems to default back to having some attachment to his Mandalorian culture. His mm-hmm. primary drive after escaping the Sarlacc Pit is to recover his father's armor. And once he does so, his drive seems to be to set himself up as a honorable daimyo 
on Tatooine and take over where Jabba did. Mm-hmm. But he, rem- he remains murderous. There is a scene where he just straight up kills an entire speeder gang with the Slave One because he thought that they had harmed someone he cared for. Mm-hmm. And so he just coldheartedly, with a sneer on his face, murders all of them one after another after another. That's fair. That's fair. So he does have some cutthroat attitude to him. He needs a little bit. He mm-hmm. needs a little bit more of it. He keeps trying to pull himself back from his violent instincts, mm-hmm. and it ends up costing him. Yeah. He. Uh, if you're a fan of Boba Fett from Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, where he barely says anything... Uh, this will most likely not be the show for you. But if you're willing to see a character grow and uh, uh, see them experiment, it works. I would just say, if you remember the writer's strike of the late 2000s, early 2010s, all of the TV from that era was affected. Uh, the shows were shorter. The quality was lesser. I would say that this felt like one of those where it's like, this isn't done with the same Nintendo polish as the rest of your shows. Uh, and the... Uh, for, you know, it's tied in necessarily with Mandalorian season three. So, you know, this is another excuse for fan edits, but I won't say any more about that. Yeah, but there are some great aspects to the book of Boba Fett. Um, again, seeing Boba Fett grow as a character is always interesting. He teams up with Black Kersantan, um, who is a character from Dr. Afra, a mad Wookiee bounty hunter mm-hmm. who becomes one of his key um, enforcers. We get more Fennec Shand, who is a, a bounty hunter turned assassin turned um, major domo and head bodyguard for Boba Fett, who is never afraid to speak her mind to <laughs> Boba Fett himself. And then we get plenty of Din Djarin, who is the focus of a couple of episodes and then teams up with Boba Fett in some Mandalorian street fight showdown action. Mm-hmm. And it did set up Mandalorian Season 3 fairly well, along with giving us a few more glimpses at our current day Luke Skywalker. Yeah, we get some Ahsoka, some Luke. So really, this is more of like a bridge to mm-hmm. the next phase of the ongoing expanding universe visual material. If you look at the Book of Boba Fett as more of a bridge to that way, it probably makes more sense. Mm-hmm. So walk into it with that in mind, and I would say watch it while marathoning Mandalorian Season 2, this, then 3. Yeah, don't treat it as a separate show. you got to treat it as part of the Mandalorian. Join us next time when we discuss two shows that focus on Jedi, both that I would recommend to some degree. And believe me, I've made sure the footage is actually there. You know, I've double-checked it this time. It'll be there. It'll be there. We'll see you sometime soon in a galaxy right here.